It's an Angels team that has completely fallen apart down the stretch, has been without Mike Trout, and is now without Shohei Otani too. So the O's should probably win some of these games. And they started things off by doing just that with a big win on Monday night. I'll recap the O's win over the Angels, plus take a look at what Jorge Lopez could bring the Orioles down the stretch coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, September 5th, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap the Orioles' Game 1 win over the Angels by a score of 6-3 to on Monday night. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that one, including Gunnar Henderson's big home run and another great start from Grayson Rodriguez. Then we'll dive into a little bit of Jorge Lopez talk. He is back with the O's, but how much can he really help this team? And can they get him back to his 2022 form he had that made him an all-star in Baltimore last season. And finally, we'll talk about why the O's went out and got Jorge Lopez and why some issues with Tyler Wells has a lot to do with it. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Sleeper. Swing for the fences on Sleeper picks and you could win up to 100 times your money. Download the Sleeper app and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. So we start this episode with an Orioles victory. Final score from Angels Stadium in Anaheim on Monday night in Game 1 of a three-game series is the Orioles 6 and the Angels 3. Shout out to the Red Sox as well, who beat the Rays in Tampa 7-3 on Monday in Game 1 of the series there. Boston had actually lost 13 consecutive games at the Trop until their win Monday, so shout out to Tristan Casas and Masataka Yoshida for their big home runs in that one. With the O's win, they now have a season-high lead in the division, three and a half games up on the Rays. And with the win, the Orioles get to 86-51 and on the year. That's also a season-high 35 games above 500, And with the win, that makes it 84 consecutive series in which the Orioles have not been swept. Puts them at fourth longest streak all time by themselves with the win Monday. A very cool victory for the O's over the Angels. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from that one. The first thing you need to know is Gunnar Henderson just did some Gunnar Henderson things. On Monday night, Henderson goes two for five in this one, had a double in the second inning, but his big swing was the home run that put this game away. A three run shot with two outs in the top of the seventh off of Angels reliever Gerardo Reyes, just a scorching line drive to right field that gave the O's a six to two lead at the time. They just had a three to two advantage before the homer hit it 108 off the bat, a line drive that traveled 382 feet. For Gunner's 23rd bomb of the season, Gunner also turned a big double play in the game. Almost had an outstanding play at third base on a call that was eventually ruled a foul ball, but if it were fair, would have been a Brooks Robinson, Manny Machado style catch and throw down the line at third. 
it was just another big day for Gunnar Henderson. That huge swing was big because the O's offense didn't have a whole lot going until the Angels went to the bullpen. And it was an entire two-out rally in that seventh inning before the Gunnar Henderson home run. Reyes came in out of the bullpen in the seventh, and he strikes out Mateo. He strikes out Hayes, and you're thinking, all right, not much going here in this inning. Well, then Santander singles, Mountcastle walks, and up comes Henderson. Boom, three-run homer. All of a sudden, you got a completely different game. Second thing you need to know from this one is that it was another big inning responding to the opponent's scoring for the Orioles in this game. Talked about how many times they did it over the weekend in Arizona when the Orioles won the series over the Diamondbacks. They did it again in this one. After the Angels struck first in the bottom of the second off Grayson Rodriguez with a Mickey Moniak RBI double, giving the Halos a 1-0 lead, the Orioles wasted no time in the very next half inning putting up a big inning. They put up a three spot in the top of the third to take the lead back against the Angels starter Kenny Rosenberg, who otherwise was good. I mean, he went six innings giving up just those three runs, but the O's got to him in that third inning, and that ended up being just enough against Rosenberg in this game. Things started with a Jorge Mateo single, which is always good because we haven't seen a lot of those this year. Then Austin Hayes doubles down the line. Mateo puts on the afterburners and scores from first to tie the game at one. Then after a Santander flyout, Ryan Mountcastle punches a single through the right side. An RBI single gives the O's a 2-1 lead. Henderson strikes out, but then Jordan Westberg, he punches himself a single through the right side. Then Aaron Hicks punches a single through the right side. That one was another RBI to make it a 3-1 game. Now Mullins did then ground out with two more in scoring position. Could have kind of put the game away right there in the third inning. But still, it was a big inning in response to the opponent scoring once again. That is a great way to make sure the other team does not get any momentum at any point. And the O's have done a nice job of that lately. Third thing you need to know from the Orioles' 6-3 win over the Angels on Monday night is that it was a big game for Jordan Westberg. Now, he didn't drive in any runs in this game, but I just mentioned the single he poked through the right side in the third inning during that rally. He also had a double in the seventh inning. It was right after the Henderson three-run homer. Westberg looped a double down the left field line, ended up going two for four with a single and a double in this game, up to his 270 average and a 726 OPS since the Orioles called him up. But I think the most impressive thing he did was in the ninth inning against the leadoff hitter in the bottom of the ninth as Yinyer Cano was on for the save with a three-run lead. And it was just a little pop-up off the bat of Logan O'Hoppy into shallow center field. Cedric Mullins didn't get a great read on it. He was coming in, but you could tell Mullins was not going to get there. Westberg was playing second base, was racing back at full speed, somehow got there, made an incredible sliding basket catch. I can't believe he made that catch for a big first out of the ninth inning. He does awesome things defensively. He does awesome things offensively. He's he's not the flashiest player, right? But he is just a really, really solid piece to have on your baseball team. Fourth thing you need to know from the O's win over the Halos Monday night is that Grayson Rodriguez was awesome again in this one. Now, he certainly didn't have his best stuff, and he didn't have his best command, and the Angels hit him a little bit. It was six innings, two runs on seven hits against Grayson with seven strikeouts, two walks, and a homer allowed. He threw 90 pitches in six innings, and Listen, the Angels squared him up a little bit, okay? They get they had eight hard hit balls in six innings. He walked two. He gave up seven hits. It wasn't his best outing. And yet you look around and you see six innings and two runs and 17 whiffs 
on 43 swings. That's a 40% whiff rate for Grayson, whose changeup was magnificent. And it's interesting because the two runs that Grayson Rodriguez allowed were on the changeup. The Moniac RBI double in the second was hit off a changeup. And then the Randall Grichik solo home run that came in the fourth that made it a 3-2 game. You know, what's new? Randall Grichik homering against the Orioles. That was also off a hanging changeup. But basically, he threw two bad changeups all day. And they led to the two runs. Other than that, he got 13 swings on the changeup. Eight whiffs. Also, five whiffs on nine swings on the slider. It was fastball, changeup, slider combo. And it was just nasty what Grayson was throwing out there. And again, didn't have the best fastball command. He was kind of missing the corner early in the game. But he continued to roll on. He didn't let the two runs he allowed stop him at any point. He got out of really that one jam that he put himself into in the third inning. And otherwise, he got things done again. And for Grayson Rodriguez, in the nine starts since he returned from AAA Norfolk, he has a 2.85 ERA. We are at the point right now where when Kyle Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez go out there for the Orioles, it is like an automatic quality start at this point. And I think... No one's going to argue with you right now if you say when the Orioles start a playoff series, whether it's a wild card three-game series or hopefully just going right to the ALDS because they won the division, it's Kyle Bradish in game one and it's Grayson Rodriguez in game two. And I think you feel pretty good about those first two games right now. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles win Monday night is that Jacob Webb got himself a little revenge game for the Orioles after Rodriguez exited after six strong innings. Webb entered in the seventh with the Orioles leading 6-2 to two and made quick work of the Angels. A 1-2-3 inning with a strikeout on six pitches to put up the zero and keep it at a 6-2 to two game. And Webb has now just been fantastic for the Orioles since, of course, about a month ago. The Angels designated him for assignment. He was claimed by the Orioles. The O said, I mean, they couldn't believe that Jacob Webb got to them. Well, since the Angels, for some reason, a team that needed a lot of bullpen help gave up on Jacob Webb, the Orioles have reaped the benefits. In an Oriole uniform, Webb, after the 1-2-3 inning on Monday, 12 and a third innings pitch, just two earned runs on four hits, 16 strikeouts, just six walks in that time. He's been amazing. Rest of the bullpen did well. D.L. Hall did give up a solo homer to Brandon Drury in the eighth, but otherwise looked good with a strikeout and no walks. And Yenier Cano had the 1 2 3 ninth to pick up the save. And the Orioles get the win over the Angels 6 3 and take game one of this series. But one guy they did not use in game one of the series was Jorge Lopez. Speaking of right handed relievers who the Orioles have claimed off waivers in the last month, Lopez is another one of them who made his Orioles 2023 debut with a scoreless eighth inning in Arizona on Sunday. And the question really is. I guess it's kind of two questions. Why did the O's bring back Lopez, and what can he give them down the stretch? I'll try to answer those questions by looking into what went wrong with the Twins and the Marlins for Jorge Lopez over the last year. That is coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Sleeper. Now, the MLB playoffs are right around the corner. We know that as O's fans. Fangraphs has the O's now at a 100% chance to make the postseason. But what that means is the clock is ticking on your chance to times your cash on Daily Fantasy Baseball by 100. 
Baseball has never been more exciting than it is now with studs like Acuna, Betts, Otani, and Gunnar Henderson. So you can pick more or less on stats for these stars like homers, hits, strikeouts, and more for up to a 100 times payout on Sleeper. Get your picks right and you could win big. And I really love the Sleeper app because it's super easy to go play and win money. Now, I would take some more Orioles tonight in Game 2 of their series. I know Adley Rutschman's itching to get back in the lineup. I'd take him. I know Ryan O'Hearn is itching to get back in the lineup. I might take him. But the entries you can make, you pick your players in under a minute. It's super fast and super easy. And if you use the promo code Locked On, you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Check out Sleeper today. So the Orioles beat the Angels 6-3 in Game 1 of a three-game set on Monday night, continuing to roll along and, with the Rays' loss, as I mentioned, extend their lead in the AL East to three and a half games heading into play on Tuesday. And the O's got themselves some more reinforcements on the roster over the weekend as well. We talked about it on Monday's episode that was recapping the Diamondbacks series win. If you haven't checked that one out, make sure to go back and do that. But talked about how the Orioles claimed Jorge Lopez off waivers over the weekend. Now, one update to all of those roster moves. Logan Gillespie, who was initially DFA'd to make room for Lopez on the 40-man roster, he has been claimed by the Boston Red Sox. Now, the Orioles do go to Boston this weekend. Glassby currently was optioned to AAA, so he's not yet with the big league club, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him sneak his way up there to Boston to face his old team this weekend. That would be interesting, but just one update on those roster moves. No update on Austin Voth yet, who was also DFA'd. But the O's did bring in Jorge Lopez, and there were a lot of questions surrounding it. First of all, it was, why are you bringing in Lopez right now when he has struggled so, so much this year, and it's true, right? Between the Twins and the Marlins in 2023, Lopez, 48 innings, 6 ERA, 16% strikeout rate is way below league average. 9% walk rate, not bad, but his 49% ground ball rate is down. Just all the stuff hasn't been good. Now, with the Minnesota Twins, it was okay at times this year, but not great. 35 and a third innings, a 509 ERA. He was then traded at the deadline. It was a one-for-one swap of right-handed relievers. Dylan Floro went to the Twins. And Lopez went to the Marlins. Basically, it was two teams with relievers who were underperforming, trying to say, let's switch these guys, see if they can do any better. Floro has not been good for the Twins, and Lopez was kind of a disaster for the Marlins. In 11 and two-thirds innings, he had a 9.26 ERA for Miami before they DFA'd him last week. Just felt like he wasn't helping a bullpen at all for a Marlins team that's trying to get into the playoffs via the NL wildcard and are in a big fight in the National League right now, and Lopez just wasn't giving them the outs they needed. It's fair. I mean, you have a 9-plus ERA. You can't take chances like that in a postseason race. Now, it is surprising to see that from Jorge Lopez because when you look back to what he did in an Orioles uniform last year, and I get the first half of 2022 with the Orioles before the trade, was really the only time in his career he's had sustained success at the big league level. But he was incredible. There's a reason why... He was the O's closer, and he made the All-Star game in 2022. 48 and third innings with the Orioles, a 1.68 ERA, 28% strikeout rate, very good, 9% walk rate, pretty good, 60% ground ball rate, very good as well. But once he went to Minnesota, when the Orioles make that deal to get the four pitchers back at the deadline, 22 and two-thirds innings, 4.37 ERA, not horrendous, but not very good. 
18% K rate, that went way down. Walk rate way up to 13%. Ground ball rate went down. He just wasn't the same pitcher. And watching him, you know, he's blowing saves with the Twins, got moved out of the closer role, kind of got moved into a low leverage role by the end of the year. There were talks of the Twins maybe non-tendering him in the offseason. You could tell just the emotions. They were not there. And Lopez did spend some time on the injured list with Minnesota earlier this year, citing, you know, just mental health issues. And, and you know, kudos to him for going on the IL there and, and trying to get himself right. And I'm, I'm hoping when he came back, he was kind of ready to go again. But you could just tell since that trade from Baltimore, he has just not been right. And that Baltimore has been the place for him. And the quotes that have come out from Lopez, from his family since the Orioles claimed him is just like, we are so happy to be back in Baltimore. Lopez saying kind of, this is the place where they taught me things to be as good as I could be. I want to have that happen again with the Orioles. And those are all great things to hear. It feels like he feels at home in Baltimore. Now, people who listen to this podcast, people who don't like me very much, I mean, they know what my thoughts were on that Jorge Lopez trade. And I think Nathan Ruiz of the Baltimore Sun put it best on Twitter earlier this week after the O's made the claim because the claim, of course, rehashed all of the dialogue about the Orioles trade deadline from 2022. Two things can be true. Number one being, the Orioles won that trade with the Twins, right? They gave up Jorge Lopez, who hasn't been very good since the trade. They got Yinyer Cano, who is currently operating as the Orioles' closer and was an all-star reliever this year. They got Cade Povich, who hasn't been amazing in AAA, but is one of the Orioles' basically top two Pitching prospects, and some places have them as the best pitching prospect right now in the O system in Cape Povich. And Juan Rojas and Juan Nunez, kind of wild card ticket young pitchers, we'll see. I don't think it's arguable that the O's won the trade because even if it was just Cano for Lopez, one for one, the O's would have won the trade. I mean, Cano this year has been better than Lopez was last year, and Cano has a lot more team control. So you win it right there, you add on Povich, it gets even better. That can be true while it is also true that with trading Lopez and Trey Mancini at the deadline last year, the Orioles kind of not punted on their postseason chances, but gave their postseason chances a huge hit because although Felix Bautista filled in as the closer and was better than Lopez, the last guy in the bullpen who had to replace Lopez on the roster was not nearly as good as Jorge Lopez. It gave the team a worse chance to make the postseason last year, a team that was two games out of a wild card, sold at the deadline. It was not a good look. Mike Elias had to fly down to Texas to talk to the players because they were upset about the direction at the deadline. Both of those things can be true. And now it's, you know, even a better trade, I guess you could say, because now Lopez is back. But it feels like if any team is going to get him back to the form he was with with the Orioles, it's going to be the Orioles, especially with those quotes coming out from Lopez about just how much better he feels to be in Baltimore. Now, if you try to dig into the numbers, there's a couple things you come up with where what was he doing with the O's that he didn't do with the Twins and the Marlins that gave him a lot of struggles once he left Baltimore? Well, first of all, he didn't stop throwing his sinker. He still throws it a lot, but not nearly as much as he was throwing it with the Orioles. With the O's, he was throwing the sinker a lot. In 2023 in total, that's with the O's and the Twins, he threw the sinker 51% of the time. In 2023, he's thrown it only 34% of the time. That is his best pitch. That sinker is his bread and butter since he's moved into a full-time relief role. And throwing it less, it's also been less effective. 
228 average against the sinker last year, 294 this year. Also, if you look at his vertical release point for Jorge Lopez, it has been dropping pretty much consistently since he left the O's. And what have we learned, especially from Yinyer Cano this year when he had his little bout of struggles in July? When you're a sinker baller with a lot of movement who gets a lot of ground balls, if your arm slot drops, you lose a lot of the effectiveness of that sinker. And Lopez's arm slot continuously dropped as he went on with the Twins and then when he went to the Marlins. It basically shows you, okay, that's why he threw less sinkers because his arm was dropping, the sinker was becoming less effective, and they said, well, stop throwing it, let's throw your other secondaries more. I think one thing the O's should address first and foremost is, let's get that arm slot back to where it is, let's get the sinker humming again, and you can play the curveball and the changeup off of that pitch as well. Now, do I think they're going to make those changes and he's going to be 2022 in Baltimore, Jorge Lopez? I don't. But he looked solid in the scoreless inning. He threw Sunday, his first time back with the O's. I'm sure, you know, because he didn't pitch Monday, he'll probably pitch tonight in game two in Anaheim, and we'll see if he can continue having success with Baltimore. But I don't think he's going to be dominant Jorge Lopez, but I think with the mindset from him, as he's talked about since he's come back to Baltimore, the fact that the O's have seen success with him, and the fact that there's a couple of changes they can make early to try and fix things, I do think he's going to be at least a serviceable middle reliever for the Orioles down the stretch. Now, if he became better than that, that's just icing on the cake right there. But even serviceable middle reliever would be huge for the O's. Now, let me say it again. Said it on yesterday's episode, just to set the record, he is not eligible. Again, he is not eligible to pitch in the postseason for the Orioles. The reason being... He was added to the O's organization after September 1st. If you are not in a team's organization by September 1st, you cannot pitch in the postseason. There are no loopholes. There is no way around it. People talk about the loopholes. The loopholes are only for players who are in the org. So this is what the rule reads. The rule reads that you must be on the 40-man roster by September 1st to be eligible for the postseason. However, if you are replacing an injured player who was on the 40-man, you can be put on the postseason roster and replace that injured player if you had been in the organization, if and only if you had been in the organization prior to September 1st. So that means guys like Heston Kerstad, Chase McDermott, Jackson Holiday, maybe. All those guys could be on the playoff roster with the workarounds, even though they are not on the 40-man right now. Lopez cannot. So he is just here to help the O's down the stretch in the pen. Now, the other question becomes, well, is this more of a 2024 move for the Orioles? Now, Lopez does have one more year before he hits free agency. He will be signed through 2024. In arbitration, he'll probably make around $4 million next year. He's making about $3.5 million this season. I don't necessarily know if it's definitely a move for next year. I mean, depending on how he pitches down the stretch, the Orioles could non-tender him. Like, if he does not pitch well... I don't think they're going to give him $4 million to be a reliever. You can find a better reliever for a lot cheaper. That's just how the Orioles operate at this point. But if he pitches really well, I could see them, you know, just giving him out the $4 million and bringing him back for next season. So it could be. But it's about getting helpful innings down the stretch, even if you can't use him in the postseason. And the reason why the O's went and got an old friend, knowing he wouldn't be eligible for October, and still added him to the bullpen is because 
one of the guys they may have been counting on for the pen, he might not be coming back. Things are not looking good for Tyler Wells right now. We'll talk about that to finish up the pod coming up next. So the Orioles did bring in Jorge Lopez on waivers earlier this week, and there's a good chance we probably see him pitch out of the Oriole bullpen coming up tonight in game two of a three-game series in Anaheim. After the Orioles won game one, six to three on Monday night, they will look for the series win here on Tuesday night. It's another late one, 9.38 p.m. Eastern time start, but Dean Kramer is going to take the hill for the Orioles in this one. Kramer this season just been solid, 4.20 ERA in 27 starts. He's been on a great run lately, was incredible in August, six innings of one-run ball against the White Sox with five strikeouts and no walks his last time out. Kramer has pitched against the Angels this year. It was May 16th in Baltimore, and he was okay. Five and two-thirds, three runs, six hits, four Ks, no walks, and a home run. And he's going to go up against Reed Detmers, who has certainly had an up-and-down season. Feels like he's flirting with a no-no once a month, but otherwise hasn't been very good. 24 starts for Detmers. He has a 5.01 ERA on the season. Not a very good start his last time out in Philadelphia. Four innings, two runs, four hits, three Ks, and three walks for the 24-year-old left-hander Reed Detmers. He did not pitch in that series, that four-game set in Baltimore back in May. So the Orioles will be seeing the lefty for the first time this season tonight. And got to think the Angels, I mean, they might be without Shohei Otani once again. He was a late scratch for the Angels Monday dealing with some oblique issues. Of course, he's got all the other injuries going on with the torn UCL. They said he needs to get surgery after in the offseason, but they're not sure what. Well, whether Otani's in the lineup or not, Tuesday night, you can listen to every single pitch of the Orioles' hometown radio broadcast of tonight's game, too, between the O's and the Halos, on the SXM app through SiriusXM. Just download the app and search Orioles. But... Before we finish up today's episode, one guy who will not be pitching for the Orioles tonight and may not be pitching with the O's for the rest of the year is Tyler Wells. And I talked about it a bit when I was talking about Jorge Lopez. You know, why would they go get Lopez now when he struggled so much and he's not going to be eligible for the postseason? You really just have him pitching for a month. Well, you're going to need some somewhat reliable guys in that bullpen because the O's when they sent down Tyler Wells because of the fatigue and he just wasn't looking good coming out of the All-Star break, they thought, okay, at the very least, at some point we can get him back as a reliever. And that's what I talked about when they made the Tyler Wells move. I said, hey, I don't know if he's back as a starter, but I think he could be back as a good reliever because he's done it in the past and it's a good way to limit his innings. Well, right now, with the latest update we've gotten on Tyler Wells, he might not be back in the majors at all this season. I see a lot of people saying, oh, Tyler Wells will be the closer now that Bautista's out. Wells might not be in the big leagues at all. And if he is, it's certainly not going to be as the closer. Tyler Wells, according to Brandon Hyde on Sunday, has been shut down for a bit at this point. He has not pitched since August 25th. That was four days after the O's moved him up to AAA to pitch as strictly a reliever out of the Tides bullpen to kind of get him ready to rejoin the Major League bullpen. Apparently, according to Brandon Hyde, he is having more arm fatigue in AAA. And at this point, when you haven't pitched in over 10 days and the season's winding down, less than a month left, you know, I'm not saying he's done for the year. There's certainly chances for him to come back. But I'm at the point where I'm not expecting Tyler Wells to pitch for the Orioles again this season. 
Now, it does open up a whole nother can of worms, like what do you do with Wells moving forward into 2024 and beyond? You've got a pitcher who, as a starter, has been really good for about 90 to 100 innings over the last two years. And then each time has hit a wall. 2022, it was more of an injury-induced wall. This year, it was a fatigue-induced wall. And it's just not been a factor for your team in August and September for the last two years. What do you do with a starter like that where you feel like we're going to get 100 really good innings and then we don't know what after that? Do you switch him out between the rotation and the bullpen? It's going to be an interesting plan the Orioles have for Tyler Wells going into 2024. But they would still like him to be a part of the team at some point in 2023. And I just don't know if it's going to happen. I mean, he couldn't get his velocity up even when he was pitching in one-inning stints out of the Norfolk bullpen. The stuff didn't look crisp. He wasn't getting a lot of swings and misses. He wasn't really baffling AAA hitters. I just think, and again, I'm not ruling it out. He could certainly still come back and help this team out of the bullpen, but the way they're talking about it and the way he looked, I think they might just shut him down and, and look to 2024. And that's one of the reasons why they brought in a guy like Lopez and a guy like Jacob Webb. And some of the other guys they're going to turn to here in September and potentially October, I don't think they're getting anything out of Tyler Wells. And we'll see what they get from a guy like John Means. Looks like he'll make one more rehab start this week. But I can't trust Tyler Wells for anything right now. It's unfortunate because he was so good this season. I'm just at the point where Jorge Lopez is taking that bullpen spot for the regular season. They'll fill it when they need to for the postseason, but... Yeah, I just, I don't know if it's in the cards for Tyler Wells this season. So kind of prepare yourself. Like, he might not pitch as an Oriole again until 2024. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. A little bit of a programming note for the rest of the week. I talked about this a bit at the end of yesterday's episode. But, listen, when they're on these West Coast trips during the week, I work a 9-to-5 job. It is really tough to stay up. This late, as I'm recording here, 12.30 a.m. on Tuesday. Get the episode recorded, edit the episode, post the episode, still get enough sleep, and get to work the next morning. It just doesn't work out that way. So, you get this episode today. There will still be an episode tomorrow. However, it will not be recapping any of tonight's game. It won't have any of Tuesday's game on the Wednesday episode. The Wednesday episode will be a mailbag episode. So, if you have Orioles questions, email them to me at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com or leave them right here in the YouTube comment section of this video and also make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. Then I'll be back Thursday with a recap of Tuesday and Wednesday's game here on the pod. So we're still going to get five episodes this week. Just know that tomorrow's episode, no recap of tonight's game. Instead, opening up the mailbag on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb. And this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.